Okay, for, for centuries, really for thousands of years, people used animals to, to travel with and or to, to plow the ground with. Okay, tractors are really very new uh, on the scene, automobiles, obviously, in the last hundred years. So let's look at a picture of a double yoke. That's a, that's a double yoke. And what you did is you put Josh's head in one of those and Justin's head in the other, and you hooked a plow and you got zero work done, I promise you. So, but you, 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 put, you, you were to put animals, and they need to be a love, uh, the, the, close to the same size, same strength, uh, probably the same species in there, and they would pull your wagon into town. They would pull your plow. That was how, you know, we think, oh, that's just old-timer stuff. Folks, that was for thousands of years, just until the recent history, uh, have we moved away from that. And we're looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 tonight on a, to me, an intriguing passage about being equally yoked. And probably as a youth, Josh, uh, growing up back when I was in the youth group back in probably 15 years ago, uh, you know, the one thing that you heard was don't drink and don't be unequally yoked. That was the thing you heard. And so this passage, it can seem simple, but it's really not. It's really, it's very, it's deep and profound. And, and here's what God's saying to us this evening. Don't be unequally yoked. That is the that is the big principle tonight from 2 Corinthians 6. If you have a Bible, you can read with me. If not on the screen, we're going to start in verse 14 and read through chapter 7, verse 1. This is a, a unit. It says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Biela? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Do you think he's trying to make a point here? For we are the temple of of the living God. And as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 17. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch anything unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. In verse 1, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Okay, the principle being unequally yoked, you can find this in Leviticus in 19 and Deuteronomy 22, way over in the Old Testament. They were told when they were to plow a field, don't hook an ox up with a donkey. And, and just, part of that's common sense. Folks, if you were to use animals in that double yoke to plow a field or to pull your wagon into town, it would be really silly to have a a really big bull and a goat yoked together, wouldn't it? Uh, the, the size mattered, that, you know, their size together, their temperament. In fact, even the species, it was probably important that they, if they weren't of the same species, that they very much got along. Strength, all that went hand in hand together. It was very important. So you look at this from a human relations standpoint, and you go, well, this is simple, but it's really not simple. In fact, it's really, there's... Um, 
there's a lot in this passage, I think, that is so, so applicable to us and that goes way beyond just some of the stuff we heard when we were, we were young. What does it mean to be yoked? It means to be drawn to the side together. It means to be drawn together. So animals put their heads in that yoke. They were drawn. They were connected together. So to be yoked with someone, something, some organization, some group is to be united with them. It's to be at one with them is what God's saying. Now, this is important if you're taking notes. Unbelievers, he says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. You go, well, that's Christians. We shouldn't be connected with non-Christians. Well, that's not so simple. The biblical word here for unbeliever, listen to this. It, it's, it means a disbelieving person. You say, wait, well, a non-believer, a disbeliever? There is a little difference there. It means someone who is untrustworthy. We get our word infidel from this picture. It's someone unworthy of confidence. Do you see, see how the water just got a little bit grayer here? It's not just simply someone who's not a Christian, who's not made a commitment to Christ yet. It's someone who's unworthy uh, of your trust. It's someone who's unworthy of your confidence. It's someone who is disbelieving, almost antagonistic towards God. And he uses five illustrations here of opposites to illustrate what he's trying to get at to you and me. And again, I, I can't emphasize how important this passage is for the people in high school and college and for everybody else here tonight, how it applies to all of us. Here's, here's what he says. He begins, what does righteousness, right living, God living, and wickedness have in common? Nothing, right? You agree? What fellowship can light and darkness have? I mean, it, light and darkness are complete opposites, aren't they? What harmony is there between Christ and Biela? Now, what is Biela? Biela literally means total, total uselessness. It means it is worthless. And Biela was an epithet of Satan oftentimes used in, in biblical concepts and ideas. So basically what he's saying is what do Jesus and Satan have in common. What does a believer next and a unbeliever, again, that word's infidel, have in common? What does the temple of God and an idol have in common? To the Jewish person, the temple was their most sacred place, wasn't it? I mean, it was something that was where the presence of God lived and they loved the temple. It was magnificent. So what does the temple of God have uh, in common with an idol or a false god? So obviously he's making some strong comparisons. And then he says, hey, remember, you are the temple of God. Isn't that an awesome thing? That God dwells in you. You are the temple of God. That's the whole point of what we're fixing to talk about. That is, is that the temple where God's presence is, ultimately, when we meet together as a church body, as Christians, God is here in our midst. Amen? And you possess the Holy Spirit as a Christian. You are the temple of God. Now, that's very, very important to everything we're going to see tonight. It's huge to everything. And in verse 17, therefore, come out from them and be separate. The word separate is a great word here. It means to have limits in your relationships that we're going to talk about tonight. Some of you are involved with people who aren't Christians, or you're involved with people who profess to be Christ, and they are dragging you down. They are pulling you down. 
or you're involved with things that are shady or not where they should be, and it's going to mess you up. God says you need to have limits and boundaries in your life. Very, very, very important. In chapter 7, verse 1, since we have these promises, purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. He's saying, listen, make a choice to make yourself clean. When he says perfecting holiness, we talked about this last Sunday night. He's saying grow up, be mature. It's a progressive sanctification. It's a progressive growing in your Christ-likeness that he's talking about. If you're taking notes, this isn't original with me. Boy, it's good. Don't let anything or anybody that messes your connection up with Christ, that stains it, that strains it, or restrains it, you need to get away from it. Anything that stains your relationship with Christ, anything that strains your relationship with Christ, anything that restrains or holds back your relationship with Christ, you need to run from it. Now, I said earlier, this appears simple, and it's really not. In 1 Corinthians 5, chapter 9, verse 11, 5, 9 through 11, it says, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, Not at all meaning the people of the world who are immoral, are greedy, are swindlers, are idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I'm writing, you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, a Christian, but is sexually immoral, are greedy, are an idolater. By the way, that doesn't mean just worship an idol. It means you worship anything but God. A slander, uh uh-oh, Some of us just have some friendship problems. Or a swindler with such a person don't even eat. Now, see, I grew up thinking all this meant was I wasn't supposed to date a lost person. We're going to see that in just a moment. It's a lot broader than that, isn't it? It's a lot broader than that. And, again, it's very, very important. So let's try to to draw four principles for this from this wonderful passage for, for us tonight. What is it saying? Here's the first thing. And and let me just pause and say this. Some of this is subjective. Some of it's not. Some of it's going to be clear, black and white in your life and what you should do and not do. Some of it is stuff you got to pray about and you got to discern in your own life, okay? But here's the first thing that that is, I think, objective. Don't be involved or entangled in things that are clearly wrong. Amen? I mean, that's pretty, that should be easy. Don't be involved or entangled With anything that is clearly wrong, in verse 14, don't be yoked together, don't be joined together, don't be connected with unbelievers, that wicked person. We saw from that other passage, that could be a believer or professing one. What does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what does light and darkness have in common? What's the context here? Well, Corinth is the context. Corinth was Las Vegas on steroids. Idol worship, idol temples, temples where they worshiped idols, pagan temples. And if someone invited you to a revival down at the temple of Aphrodite, you didn't need to go. (laughs) I won't even go to the Methodist revival. Go to the Methodist revival. I'm, you know, really. But what happened at these pagan temples? In their worship, in their worship, They had sexual orgies. They were drunken brawls and parties. And he's saying, listen, Christian, (laughs) 
You do not need to go and be involved in that. That ought to be a no-brainer. Obviously, they were struggling with that a little bit. And Corinth itself just blatant immorality. And he wasn't telling these Christians, don't love people who do these things, but you can't be involved in it. You can't go over someone's house and hang out if they're going to be doing these things. Also, there was a lot of cult life and false teachers at this time. What he was saying to them is when things that are being taught are clearly against the Bible, you don't need to go there. Don't let your kids go there. Don't be involved. And that is what he was telling them. How does this translate to you and me? Again, it doesn't simply just mean you avoid people who aren't Christians. But you have to draw some lines in your life. I, I remember I've heard people say, I won't go anywhere that serves alcohol. Okay, here's my challenge to you. You be consistent with that. You don't say, well, I won't go to Chili's. Then you go out to a country club and have lunch where they're drinking around you. Hypocrite. Really? I mean, if I can see through it, what does God see when he says that? That's your conviction. You live it out. That's not my conviction. Because I like Chili's, I guess. But I want to tell you what, I think a Christian better, better really think hard about hanging out at just a bar. When I became a Christian, I was in the bar life, and I knew right off the bat I had to get out of that. I had to get out of that. And I had, I had other Christians say, oh, Chris, you can go there and you can witness. How many of you have been to, I'm not talking about a restaurant that has a bar. I'm talking about a true bar. Honestly, you, you better not raise your hands. How many of y'all been to one of those? You're fired. Uh. <laughs> Folks, let me tell you something. A real throwdown bar, you're not going to get to share Christ effectively. I, I know that, unfortunately, from experience. Drunk people at 11.30 on Saturday night are not wanting for you to talk to them about Jesus. Okay, your opinion may differ on that. I don't think that's a place Christians need to go. I think you have to draw a line there. None of you know who Hugh Hefner is, but I'll tell you. You may hear his name in the sex series coming up. Hugh Hefner uh, is the, the uh, man, he's, he's really helped America go down the drain in the last 50 years. He's founder of Playboy magazine, and, and Hugh Hefner's known for his wild parties at the Playboy Mansion. I'm just going to tell you this. If, if he calls Greg Phillips and I and asks us to come to a party, we're not going to go. Number one, our wives would kill us. Number two, it wouldn't be good for our Christian witness. Now, if I had a chance to take Hugh Hefner out to eat, I'd do it in a heartbeat. But I'm not going to go to his wild party where there's a lot of uh, raunchy and bad stuff going on. And I want to tell you, in the days ahead, you better be real careful where you let your kids go to their youth group and where you, you, you visit and you, some people are going to join churches so indiscriminately. Man, what a church believes and what they preaches and teach is everything. And when, when churches are getting away from the Bible, you love those people, but that's not where you need to go or your family needs to go. I don't care if they've got the coolest stuff in the world. 
You've got to stay chained to Jesus. Number one, don't get entangled or involved with something that is clearly wrong. Number two, let's talk about dating and marriage. Again, growing up, I think this is what I took away from youth. Don't be yoked together with an unbeliever. Don't date someone who is not a Christian. Now, let me pause and say this. If you are married tonight to someone who is not a Christian, well, here's what God says. You do everything you can to make that marriage work. God says you stay in it unless they pull out of it. You love them. You do everything you can to make it work. So hopefully you can win them to Christ. But here's the question. Should you, single people in the balcony, we've got a lot of college students in the balcony. Got youth down here. Should you date someone who is not a Christian? I look at a lot of websites, a lot of Christian websites. Let me clarify that. (laughs) Stay away from things that are clearly wrong, including websites. And, and, And some of the websites just, how many of you ever scream at the TV or the computer? I find myself doing that more and more often, Uh, and, and, you know, it's probably a sign of dementia, but I'm reading these websites, and this one Christian website, in fact, it's a Baptist website, they're they're leftist Baptist, and and that's, that don't mean like communist, that means like they're liberal, and they've been talking about interfaith relationships. Now, folks, that's not, I'm Baptist dating uh, uh, an Episcopal. Interfaith means a a Christian and a Buddhist and da-da-da-da. And and so they're kind of liberal, so they're talking about, oh, this is the new trend. And there's this woman Baptist pastor, and she's married to this Buddhist priest. Did y'all get her resume, Andy, when y'all were looking for me 12 years ago? Uh, think about that. Do a little click in your head. And, and one of the articles I read this week, it said, oh, what do you do in an interfaith? You're, you're a Christian dating a Hindu. What do you do? Well, while you're dating, you talk about things about your faith. And if you're a Christian, maybe you need to decide, is it really Jesus is the only way? Let me tell you, that's already been decided. And I'm screaming at my computer, and I'm saying, what in the world are you saying? In this verse, it clearly says, don't be unequally yoked with someone who is not in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 7, here's what it says. If you're going to date somebody, within, you're going to marry somebody you date. Did you hear me? I'm not serious. I'm just dating. You end up in America. None of you have a prearranged marriage, do you? Only Cindy and I. That was it. She was forced into it with me. None of you had that. None of you have that. So you're going to marry someone you date. Dating, don't play with dating. And the Bible is crystal clear. This is not being mean. If you're a Christian, you are to date only Christians. And not only that, you need to date someone who's not just a Christian, but is sold out to Jesus Christ. You're going to marry someone you date. And I know, and women, oh, you're the worst. You're going, oh, I'll change him. No, you won't. He'll get creepier. I promise you. He will get worse. He won't get better. And let me tell you something else. You can date someone who's a Christian who you are unequally yoked with. 
I got married at 35. I'm pretty experienced at this. I was a Christian swinging single for a while. That was a good word back in the day. You know, you, I was on the, the market. Of course, that was before the internet Christian dating site. So when you lived in a small town, you were out of luck. I remember talking to a good friend of mine once, and he said, you know, he said, Christians forget they can be unequally yoked with believers. And he said, I started dating a woman. They were both in seminary, which is Christian minister graduate school. And she was going into the ministry, and she, she said all the right things. But as soon as we started dating, in my heart, I knew something was not right. The Holy Spirit was, I was real uneasy. Folks, when the Holy Spirit is popping you in the heart, you better stop and listen, stop and listen. He said, I didn't because she was a Christian, I was a Christian. She said the right things, I said the right things. And he said, six months later, it was a train wreck. And we had to break up. It was a train wreck. And he said, you know what? I knew it was right, but we, we liked each other a lot. And so your heart's involved, and it's a train wreck. Emily, come here real quick. I'm going to embarrass you just a second. Okay. Everyone knows the pastor is well-built and strong, right? And Emily is a tender, sweet, little pretty girl, right? Emily, I mean, let's be honest. In a fair fight, I would beat you up, correct? I mean... <laughs> I feel confident about that. All right, Emily, take my hand like this. Now, I'm going to try to pull you up, and I want you to try to pull me towards you as hard as you can. <laughs> now, I wasn't faking that. You can sit down. Thank you, sweetie. It's always easier to get pulled down than it is pulled up. You see, I, I probably could have pulled Emily up, but it would have been embarrassing. I would have fallen back, and she would have, would have been, it would have been bad. It's always easier to get pulled down than it is pulled up. So you date that person. You're going to marry somebody you date, and they're lost. <laughs> Man, you're behind the eight ball right off the bat. You, you date and marry that person who's just not as sold out to Christ as you are. You're going to spend probably the rest of your life trying to pull them along and it's so much easier to get pulled down than it is pulled up okay it absolutely applies to dating and marriage here's the third thing it applies to your business partnerships do not be unequally yoked how does this apply to business well I would say this, when you're going to be involved with a lots of money and a lots of time and your name and reputation, should that other person be a Christian? Well, maybe, but I would tell you at the very least, you, they better be a really good person if you're going to tie your money and your life involved with them. If you're going to invest who you are in your life and you spend a lot of your time and energy in your work, don't you? You get involved with somebody that doesn't love God, especially if you get involved with this disbeliever, it may end up costing you your name, your reputation, and lots and lots of money over the course of the next few years. Here's another thing businesses have to be worried about, what you get involved with. You know, what we're seeing today, and we're hearing on the news, and it's going to hit Ruston eventually, is that businesses are being forced to do things that are against their biblical beliefs. You have a, a bakery or a florist owned by Christians. And they're being told they have to do a wedding for two men who are getting married. 
I don't own a business, so you may say it's easy for me to say, but I, I want to tell you, I think you better draw a line in the sand. It's just unbelievable that our government's going to try to force us to do things. I want to tell you, they're not going to force a Muslim restaurant to fix pork chops at my 4th of July party. But Christians are, we're the, we're the guinea pigs. By the way, if you don't know Muslims, strict Muslims, don't eat pork chops. That's why that illustration. I want to encourage you to draw that line in the sand. I'm not going to get entangled with something that's against my God beliefs. And I want to encourage you as a business person. It's going to cost you money. Well, I'd rather be tight with Jesus than I would with Ben Franklin. Don't be unequally yoked in what you're involved with financially. Don't go get a job. Don't go get a job that's legal but immoral. I don't have to tell you don't be a Christian hitman. You know, 10 years from now in Louisiana, it may be legal to have your own marijuana shop right next to uh, the church down here. My advice is, is I don't think that biblically that'd be the right thing to do. Watch your partnerships. Here's the fourth thing, and that's your friendships. And boy, this is a biggie, biggie, biggie too. Do not be unequally yoked. Let's go back to that second, first Corinthians passage one more time. It says, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning, listen, this is so important, the people of the world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I'm writing you, you must not associate with anyone who says he is a Christian who is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slander, or a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a person, do not even eat. In Mark chapter 2, some favorite scriptures of mine. Listen to this. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. That's Matthew, Matthew the gospel. Many tax collectors and sinners, bad people, that word sinners means, were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Many, many really bad people followed Jesus. Isn't that cool? Should be. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating, and eating was a way you socialized with people then, with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, let's look at this from two ways. One, that word sinner we looked at earlier. Someone basically who is disbelieving, almost antagonistic against God. I think it's hard for a Christian to have a buddy-buddy relationship with someone who hates Jesus. Doesn't mean you shouldn't love them and pray for them and do everything that you can to reach them. But it's hard to be close to someone who really dislikes the most important person in your life. Okay? But most lost people I know are not like that. Jesus Christ was called a friend of sinners. How do we bring these two things together? One, you look at Jesus' life. Here's a simple pattern. If you want to be able to impact your world, you've got to love everybody, the people far from God as well. And you have to be their friends. 
But you need to be in church every Sunday. You need to spend time in your prayer and your Bible. Probably your closest friends need to be people who are sold out to Jesus Christ. And when you have that foundation, then you can move out and love and be involved with people that are far from God. This isn't saying you shouldn't be associated with people who are non-Christians. You just need to be very mature in developing in your own relationship to Christ is what he's telling us here. But also, I would tell you this, you need to watch your friendships with people who say they're Christians. The biggest danger, I I believe, in our church this evening is not that you're hanging around a lot of vile people. I think some of us just have friends who profess to be Christ who who are skunks. They may not be drunkards, but they're gossips and they're slanders and they're negative and that chips away at you, and it pulls you down. And it makes you more disrespectful of other people, makes you more critical. Remember what Emily and I showed you a moment ago? It's always easier to be pulled down than it is to pull someone up. The thing that may hurt your relationships and your friendships and your walk with Christ more than anything is your friendships with people who profess to be Christians. That's the one Jesus tells you you better watch out for if they're not who they should be. So guard your friendships. Be wise in them. Have those boundaries. Make sure the people closest in your life are people who do love Christ. You know, he says in verse 14, to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I want to jump over to Matthew eleven twenty-eight, real quick. Listen to what Jesus says. These tying together, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Listen to this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble and hard, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's the... Here's the The beautiful thing, when you're right with Christ and you're equally yoked with other people, business partners, friendships, romances, whatever it is, it fits right. It fits right. It may be hard pulling at times, but it fits right. How can you know if that dating relationship, that friendship, that business partnership, where you're going or hanging out is wrong? Listen to the Holy Spirit in your heart. Maybe the Bible will clearly show you it's wrong, but maybe that yoking just doesn't fit. And when you have that uneasiness and that lack of peace in your heart, you know what that is? The yoke's not fitting. I talked about O.J. last Sunday morning. Remember O.J.? I want to show you a real quick picture, O.J. You remember this famous scene there? And he tried on the bloody gloves found at the scene, and they didn't fit. You remember that? And Johnny Cochran says, if the glove don't fit, you must You must acquit. Let me tell you, if the yoke don't fit, you need to get. That's what God's saying to us. The yoke doesn't fit. You need to separate yourself. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, the most wonderful thing in the world is you can come this evening and settle that. When we stand in a moment, come give your life to Jesus. Maybe you'd like to join the church. We would love for you to. We stand. You come. Do that tonight. And as a Christian, maybe where you're standing or maybe at the altar, there needs to be some reconstruction in your life, some changes made. The choice is yours, but you live with the consequences of your choices.
Let's stand, and as God leads you, you come tonight. We'll be down here waiting on you.